Hello and welcome to The Connection, a new podcast from Connect Global. I'm Javier Mendoza. We are excited to be using this platform to be more connected to you. The Connection can be broken down into three sections. The Founders Corner, an ongoing conversation between the co-founders of Connect Global. Global Neighborhood, a mix of interviews from around the world, including some of our friends and partners. And Life Talks a place to hear the most recent talks we've given on the gospel, missions, and our place in the Great Commission. Our sincere hope is that you would favorite, bookmark, or subscribe to our podcast and for you to come back often for all the interviews, conversations, and to join the discussion. Let's get to it. Welcome to another edition of Life Talks with The Connection by Connect Global. I'm going to first ask Javier Mendoza, who is, he's actually, we've been friends longer than I've been friends with Danielle. I want him to come and, and I met Javi on, on a missions trip to um, a very warm place. And, um, and that's, that's the thing, right? right. Introduce your wife. Uh, this is a wonderful man of God. He's been um, called to missions since he was, well, since he had less hair. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, he's, he was, the thing about Javier is that he loves people so much that he's willing to give up everything to reach them. And so he's one of my heroes. I appreciate him. I appreciate his family. I appreciate that the call of God on their lives. And I, I honor you, man of God. Um, thank you so much for, for the difference you've made in mine and Kevin's lives and in our church family. Lord bless you, Kevin. Yes, thank you very much. <clears throat> yes, that is true. Uh, we did meet in a very, very hot place. Uh, we have lived and served in Honduras. Uh, the very first time that I ever went to Honduras, to Central America, was 17 years ago, uh, this month, basically. Uh, and we've been going back ever since. We've been bringing teams just like the church at Asheville uh, over and over and over again. I was looking at the pictures last night and this morning of our very first, the church at Asheville trip with Connect Global, with our team uh, there in Honduras, and remembering how hot it was, uh, remembering how much love you guys brought, and remembering how much and how great you served uh, during that week and the subsequent weeks and the trips that you guys have also sent teams to us. Uh, it has made truly a difference in the ministry and in the work that we do there. Uh, sometimes being on the, the mission field like that can be a very lonely and isolating place, but not when you have people like you guys supporting us and backing us, praying with us, uh, because we can truly feel the difference, and we know when you're not praying. So, so that's, that's, just, that's not an admonishment. That's just a, a reminder that we can feel it both when you are praying with us and also uh, when we feel more lonely. We just push in and we say, God, you're, you're ahead of us. You've gone before us. Uh, your spirit resides in us and also in, in the, the ministry that we're doing. Uh, and so it's a great honor and a great pleasure to introduce and invite my wife, Danielle Mendoza, to come and speak. She is a great inspiration to many, uh, not least of which is me, um, because of her hard work, her diligence, her commitment to excellence uh, in both ministry and family and in everything that she pursues. There's something about her and about a woman that can stand tall and deliver the word of God and deliver his message to his people. Uh, and you're going to get that today because I know that she's been praying and preparing, not just for a message, but a message for you. 
for this church, for this body, and for everyone that has come into this place this morning. I know that you're going to hear a message anointed by God for you. And we just welcome her right now. Thank you. Good morning. It's so great to be here and to see all of you. Um, if you, if any of you have had the pleasure of knowing Javier, you know he is hilarious. So um, that's actually helped us a lot in our marriage. <laughs> um, because any time that he pushes my buttons, he has a way of unwinding that and walking that back with his humor. Um, so that's why we're still married today, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, this. So this Friday will actually be our 15th wedding anniversary. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Your one was a little rocky. It's gotten a lot better since then. <laughs> um, yeah, but we both had a lot of God's grace on our life. Um, but it it is an honor to do ministry with Him. Um, I'll get emotional, but. If it wasn't for um, his example of who Christ was, there's no way I would be standing here doing this today. So I have to give honor to him and who he is in my life and who he is in many others' lives. So, yes. (laughs) Thank you. So as he mentioned, um, we started with our co-founders and our family uh, Travis and Gina Moffat uh, Connect Global 10 years ago. So this month is our 10-year anniversary for Connect Global. Um, so God had to do some groundwork in us for five years before we could be prepared to do this kind of work. Um, but now we are 10 years into this amazing ministry, and what God has continued to do over and over again is really show us that it's all Him, and he's just really being kind to allow us to be a part of the ride and in the process because there's things that he continues to do that honestly we have, it's just nothing that we did. It's not, you know, any of our eloquence or our uh, obedience even or even our faithfulness. It's really just him being faithful and all of the amazing things that he does. And then he allows us to participate. So it's been really cool. We started that, like I said, with our family and our co-founders, Travis and Gina. And also, I want to mention uh, Noah and Sage, because really, they've been there for the entire, the entire journey. And they get trekked around from country to country and from place to place. And even within the United States, they're taken into a different culture quite often of different church culture, different life experiences. And they both just have this unique gifting on their life just to kind of assimilate. And they bring a lot of peace and joy everywhere that they go. And we're especially grateful for Noah in our life because he is like a brother to Sage. So they're cousins, but really they're like brother and sister, and so they're each other's people. Um, and so it's a, it's a great blessing that God's allowed us to do this together as family as well. So um, when I was preparing this, I kind of couldn't determine, you know, where I should go with everything. So I just thought today we would start in Genesis and work our way through Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope you guys weren't like preparing to do anything this afternoon or no, I'm just kidding. Um I I am a PK, so I'm a little crazy, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> um but um you know, through Connect Global, we're we're often able to practice pretty much on a daily basis Matthew 25:35. 
So if you guys will turn in your Bibles with me, um, I hope you'll forgive me that I brought my electronic Bible today. (laughs) Um, We can stand for the word. Um, But that verse says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. But the sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will say, I'm telling you the truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. And so this morning I want to kind of take a look back on the basic instructions that Jesus gave us that said, this is how people are going to identify you as my followers. And so sometimes I think we've kind of gotten away from the basics and we've gotten away from the simplicity of really what the gospel message is. And so today I want us to refocus and recenter, but we'll go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the people that you've brought into this room We thank you that you've allowed our paths to cross so many years ago with Pastor Shekinah and Kevin, Lord God. We thank you for the amazing people that you have brought into this church, into your church, into your kingdom. And Lord, we just thank you that um, you are continuing to do a work in us. Um, They're here in Asheville, us in Honduras, and everyone around, around the world, Lord God. You continue to guide your sheep. And Lord, we just want to follow you. We want to honor you. We want to be obedient to you. And we want to be um, bold. We want to be able to come to you boldly and with confidence, knowing that you are going to lead us and that you have made, you've prepared the way, Lord God. So I just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, and that you would just open our spirits to hear this word today, and that you would show us um, just immediately following this, Lord God, opportunities and people that you want us to engage with and that you want us to love and that you want us to serve, Lord God, that we'll immediately have opportunities to put this into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to turn to John 13, 34. And um, this is where Jesus says, Let me give you a new command. Love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciple, is your love for one another. So my question today is, how do you guys think we are doing? I don't think we're doing our best. (laughs) I think we can do better. So according to Pew Research, the religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid rate. In telephone, and I said, oh, okay. And so we start having more conversation, and um, it just, he just has kind of felt like there's not a need. There's really no particular need. He said, I recognize it for other people, you know, if they've had hardships or, you know, if they need community. But for me, I don't know. It's just, hmm, I don't know. It's just that. And I just... I thought, okay, so we have opportunity wherever we are. Um, But why is it that people just think it's not something they need? And so to me, that's kind of where I want to draw from, is what is it, because we have this amazing grace story. We are people who are far from God because of our sin, 
And it's the most beautiful story in all of, all of religion. Yes. Uh, because it's the only one that says, okay, I did everything, being Jesus. Yeah. I did everything. Right. All you have to do is believe. Right. And that sin that separated you from me and that isolation and that loneliness can be, there can be a bridge and we can, we can fill that gap just with your belief in me. And there's no other religion on earth that has that story. It's based in your power. It's based in your good deeds. It's based in maybe the, the monetary gifts you're giving. It's based in the amount of prayers you pray and who you're praying to and, you know, the quality of your beads. There's no other religion that says... He did it all. He did absolutely everything. And so, and so if that's the case, why, do, why are people indifferent to that? Is it, is it an identity crisis? Are we having an identity crisis to where who we are isn't a reflection of who he is? Because why else would the world say, I don't need it. doesn't seem, it's not too compelling not something I need. You can keep it. Maybe it's good for you for community. Um, So 5.2 billion people in the world today do not claim Christianity as their religion. An estimated 1.6 billion people have never even heard the gospel message one time. We had a friend one time that we actually met in prison. Uh, Javier and I would serve in prison before Sage was born. And we were there doing a marriage seminar and after the weekend, we invited her to go to church with us because she wasn't in prison. She was visiting her husband. And uh, she wrote me a couple of days later and said, okay, I do I think I want to go, but I don't know what to wear. And I said, well, you can wear whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable in. And she said, well, like, I don't think you understand. I really need you to tell me what to wear because I've never been to church in my life. Um, so the, the lost are out there, and they are everywhere. And you don't have to go to prison to find them. Sometimes they can be your shuttle driver, you know. Um, But despite Jesus' command to evangelize, 67% of all humans from 8030 to the present day have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. In the last 40 years, over 1 billion people have died who have never heard of Jesus. And around 30 million people this year will pass away without hearing the message of salvation. So this means that we have a lot of work to do. This means that we have a lot of work to do on ourselves to where we start being um, something that people think, I want, I want to have more of that. I don't understand what it is that I recognize in that person. I don't know why I'm attracted to that person. I don't know why I'm wanting to lean in in conversation with that person. But there's something that that person has that maybe I don't. And that's only going to come with self-work. That's only going to come with humbling ourselves and getting rid of our pride, getting out of our comfort zone and saying, okay, God, here I am, send me. And if we don't have that mentality when we're in the grocery store or when we're in a shuttle or when we're on the mission field because the guy has just annoyed me now for the seventh time and I'm about to smack somebody... You know, if we, can't, if we can't maintain the purpose and what the actual mission is, then really um, what we're doing is useless. Um, there's no purpose to it because if we're not pointing people to Christ, then really we're not fulfilling the purpose of our calling as Christians. And so 
I feel like the church has been going through an identity crisis. Um, you know, right now it seems like it's different because we live in Honduras, so I haven't seen this as much there. But when we come back to the States, there's like all of this stuff where I feel like, am I supposed to say he or they or them? And what bathroom? And this is getting, I'm just confused a little bit. But none of that actually matters to me because, you know, it's like, okay, I'm she and I'm her and I'm his. And so, <laughs> and so if someone else is confused about that, I have been too before. Not about my gender, right. but I've been confused about my identity. Yeah. And certainly my identity in Christ, right. I've been very confused about that at times. Yeah. And so if I, a person who has been raised in the church, was born into the church, and has spent every Sunday and Wednesday and most Fridays in the church since then, could have some identity crisis going on, then how much more the world? How much more someone that didn't have parents that made those spiritual investments in their life? How much more someone who has been exposed to things and has had things happen to them that I've only ever seen on TV, if that? This is who God is calling us to. He's calling us to the lost and to the broken people of this world. So for months we've been masked up. Um, and you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know how it is when you see someone out of context and you're like, oh, you don't really recognize them. You're only used to seeing your teacher at school, right. you know? So then you see them at like the grocery store and then you're like, that can't be her. I don't really recognize that person. Um, I feel like that's kind of how it's been with the mask. It's, we've been having this mask and it's harder to see who is who. You know, it's like, is that so-and-so? You know, there's a lot missing here from what I'm used to seeing that identifies this person to me. Um, but what the Bible says is, they will know that you are mine by your love for one another. Yes. And so I want to know that are, peop are people recognizing us because of our love for one another? Or are we running into uh, situations where people are recognizing us as a Christian and that's actually become kind of a dirty word in their circles because what it says to them is that we're full of hate and we're full of judgment and we're, we don't, we're the furthest thing from grace or compassion or love. Are they recognizing us because of the, the qualities that Jesus uh, called us to his family with or are they recognizing us because of all the lines we've drawn in the sand? So turn with me to John 8, um, and we'll go 1 through 11, where Jesus says, so he was, um, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teach this woman or, teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law of Moses' commands, we are supposed to stone this woman. So what do you say? And I love how they're telling him what the law of Moses is. Because it's like, that's ironic, because I'm pretty sure he knows what the law was that he gave Moses. But, you know, they're, they're smarter than Jesus, like we are sometimes, right? We know, we know a little bit more than the person that wrote the law and wrote, wrote the grace aspect and the forgiveness and all of those things. We know better than that. Like, you know, we, we're just informing him 
of what of his words, you know. And so uh, they he it says that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. That's kind of odd, too. I've been looking at that sentence, and I'm like, I don't quite get the context of... I think it's just like, well, he doesn't really care what you're doing. He's just like, like, these people don't get it anyways, you know. I'm just going to play in the dirt. I don't know. There's probably more spiritual aspects that I just don't understand there. Um, But it says... uh, So he was just drawing in the dirt, apparently. And... Uh, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let anyone who is without sin uh, throw the first stone at her. And then it says, from oldest to youngest, one by one, they slowly slipped away. You know, like, oh, maybe they won't notice if we're all gone. Five minutes. And as they slip away, one by one, because they were not without sin, it says that then Jesus was there standing with this woman. It just became the two of them. So it became the woman with sin, and it became the one man on earth without sin. So the only person that had all authority to give all condemnation decided instead to give all grace. So the only one that has every bit of a right or an authority to condemn her, instead said, where are your accusers? And she said, well, they're not here anymore. And he said, okay, they have not condemned you, nor do I. Now go and sin no more. You know, an interesting part of the story is we don't know if she went and didn't sin anymore. We don't know if she changed her life that day. What we know is that the Son of God, who was without sin, was then left alone with this woman and said, go and sin no more. And he chose not to condemn her. He's the only one that knows if her life changed that day or not. And so we sometimes are wanting to take on that single aspect, go and sin no more, to every single person that comes into our life. Every single one that comes in our path. Oh, wow, I can see what your sin is. You should stop sinning. Go and sin no more. And we usually have like a relationship with these people. And so then we see them on Tuesday. And then we see the sin manifest again. And we're like, you don't get it. You're supposed to not be sinning anymore. Didn't you hear my words? Didn't you read your Bible? And so it's a little unique because we're actually seeing this person again. But in this story, we don't know. We don't know if the lady's life changed that day. But what we do know is that God gave her a complete, clean slate. Yes. He gave her grace that day. And in the process, he taught the Pharisees and the religious teachers that you were also not without sin. And so though her sin is being worn like a scarlet letter, and maybe yours is a little less recognizable because it's not as obvious, you still are not without sin. And so I am not condemning you, and I'm not condemning her. And so to me, that is powerful. And that's the way in which we should live. Bear with me for a second while I get my lights back on. Okay. <laughs> this thing is smarter than I am, I think. So 
Okay, here we go. So my question is, are we laying down our stones or are we hoping Jesus will condemn? I've had people ask me to pray that their children would hit rock bottom. I've had people ask me to pray that they would fill the gates of hell, that their children would fill the gates of hell. I don't pray like that just because that's not what the word says and how to pray. Um, but I do pray, I do pray more dangerous prayers. And I have for a long time. Like, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. And that's a dangerous prayer because if you actually pray that, he starts to do it. And then you start doing really kind of stupid things like leaving great jobs and moving to a mission field where you're not really great with the language and the culture is really bizarre and different from what you're used to. Um, or you start engaging with someone that you have no idea what, what their life story is or what their background is, but you still feel like this heart connection, like my heart is breaking for this person. Because if you start praying dangerous prayers, like God, break my heart for the things that break yours, you start moving away from prayers like, condemn them, Lord. <laughs> because really, that's not how he's taught us to pray. How he's taught us to pray is for, for his will to be done. And it's his will that everybody is reconciled back to him. And so I'm not going to pray for someone's child to experience squalor. I'm not going to pray for someone's child to feel far from God. I'm going to pray that, that somewhere, wherever they are in the world, someone will come and be the love of Christ in their life. So for, you know, as the church, we've spent decades and decades trying to come up with the most creative ways just to get someone to the building. You know, I've, I'm a PK. I've been, I've been sitting at the back of a service or in the office or different places. Now I'm a founder of a missions organization. I've been in settings where pastors are saying, how do we get butts in seats? You know, it's like a big head scratcher. How do we do this? We, like, do we have to give away free food every day? Like, do we have to give them a Starbucks when they walk in? What do we have to do to make this thing appealing and I'm just wondering why it's becoming increasingly more difficult just to get someone to attend. And so it makes me think that it's strictly because what they're seeing from us isn't different than anything they're seeing anywhere else in the world. Because if we are the image bearers of Christ and what the image we're bearing isn't, there's no differentiation between that and any other person they're seeing on the street or at the grocery store or even at the church, then what's the purpose? What's the appeal for them? What, what are we doing? You know? And so we've tried smoke machines. We've tried cutting-edge presentations. We've done all kinds of things to try and pique someone's interest in attending or the church. And yet, literally, the one simple thing that Jesus said would identify us would be our love for one another. And it's, it's very simple, you know. And I'm not saying that loving one another is easy. You know, I have, most of the time I don't even feel like I like people. So loving people, it's like that's a strong word. 
Um, you know, and I'm not trying to confuse what's simple with what's easy. Webster's definition of the two words are for easy. It's causing or involving little difficulty or discomfort, requiring or indicating little effort, thought, or reflection, something that is not difficult to endure or undergo. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. But simple is defined as readily understood. We understand what God's called us to do. It's not a lack of understanding. It's a lack of not wanting to do it. It's not, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's uh, dying to ourself. It's saying, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to let this person that steps on every toe I have do that one more time. That's what it is. And so, in other words, we understand the instruction, but it's the putting it into practice that proves to be challenging. Um, Javier and I have had these conversations over the years of wanting to always be intentional to seek out people who are far from God. And the reason being is because that's what God told us to do. I do feel like we've had to be intentional, though, because we both have been raised in the church, and we both are super comfortable with other Christian people. Um, me in particular, I, as a, as a high school student, junior high student, never even got involved in the things that most kids want to be involved in and involve themselves in. Um, to the point where my father would say, you should go to the party because you'll be a light. I know you'll be a light. You should just go. And then I would say, no, because there's going to be drunk idiots, and I'm not going to subject myself to that. Like, that's how far removed I wanted to be from a lifestyle that didn't look like order and Christianity and all of those things. But in my adult life with Javier, we have tried to be intentional to seek out people who are far from God. And so we have been invited to people's tables that are proclaimed atheists. We've had people in our home who are Buddhists. Um, our neighbor in Dallas, she um, is from Thailand, and she ha- practices a very different religion than what we do. But God connected us. He connected our hearts. He connected our geography in those two years that we lived in that neighborhood. And most days, she and I would go and walk four miles together. This is a woman who's just under 70. And when she decided, decided to decide that four miles was a little long, I would get a jump start walk too, and she'd meet me halfway, you know. But God connected our hearts, and we were able to share with each other and just have conversation. And she's still in conversation with me today. And it's not always a quick process. It's not always, she even asked one day, well, would you be willing to come and have food with my friends? Of course I would. Well, but it's at our temple. That's where they do it. They cook all the stuff, and it's So, I mean, you wouldn't have to go to a service, but that's where they prepare the food. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I love Thai food. (laughs) That's a no-brainer for me, (laughs) you know. But even just the fact of all this time and all this groundwork that's laid, and then she still had this question of, but could you even cross the threshold to come and be in a moment with me that's outside of your comfort zone, that's not on your territory? that's not at your home or our shared bridge that we like to walk across? Yeah, of course, because where did Jesus go? He went to where the people were. He went to where sometimes he was invited and sometimes where he wasn't invited, you know? 
and I like to do that too. <laughs> and so the biblical definition of love is love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> I'm doing bad in that department. I have a great memory, you know. Women, typically, they always say that. I think men do, too. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know we have pretty good memories when someone's wronged us. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So I know we could camp out here um, because just even understanding what love is and that biblical definition, we could probably spend a lifetime and not really achieve, achieve it fully. But throughout Scripture, we see the value that God places on this commandment for us to love one another. And so, um, you know, the definition of love revealed in Scripture, in the Scripture just before that, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And so I feel like over and over again, he's trying to show us the importance of love. And not in the hippy-dippy love way. All's good. Everything's fine. Let's hug a tree together. You can do that. I don't think there's, I don't know if there's anything wrong with hugging a tree. But the, the definition of love is love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not envious. It does not boast. It does not keep records of wrong. It never fails. It always protects. It always trusts. And so over and over again through scripture, he is continually pointing us back to love. Probably because he knew that was going to be the hardest part of all of his instructions. It's not very hard for us to condemn, condemn people. It's not very hard for us to identify their sin. Right? My sin, I mean, I'm pretty good. I think I'm fine. But you, <laughs> yep, God's got some work to do in your life. <laughs> You know, that's how we treat it. That's what we do. We like to point at other people's sin because we, we don't want to do the groundwork that needs to be done in our own life. And so thank God for some of the more distracting sins out there because mine doesn't have to be, be put on a pedestal. Yeah. So thank you, people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's not the opportunity to, to dodge and to hide. It's just an opportunity to acknowledge we are all with sin and that there's only one person that can rectify that. And the one that can rectify it chose to do it through grace, not through condemnation. He could have chose to do it any way he wanted to. So the foundational instructions are to love one another in the same way that Jesus, the blameless Son of God, loves us. 
and we remember how he did it. He, he did it by taking every bit of our sin, and he covered us, and he made us whole. Uh, his sacrifice has put us in right standing with the God of the universe. He was the only person without sin, and therefore the only one righteous enough to stone the woman in the city square, and yet again, he was the only person who gave abundant, messy, and aggressive grace. That's what, he, that's what he chose to do. And we, we accept that for our story. Oh, I'm forgiven, praise God. So are they. We should tell them. So let's look at our directive and, you know, our slash how-to in Luke 6. It says, about that same time, he, Jesus, climbed a mountain to pray. He was there all night in prayer before God. The next day, he summoned his disciples, and from them, he selected 12 that he designated his, as his apostles. Now, coming down off the mountain with them, he stood on a plain surrounded by disciples and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, even from the seaside towns of Tyre and Sidon. They had come both to hear him and to be cured of their ailments. Those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Just being in his presence, those who were disturbed with evil spirits were healed. And there's a lot of times throughout scripture where it talks about laying hands on each other for healing. Just the presence that Jesus carried. It doesn't say in this scripture, in this reference, that he touched them. It just says that his presence and their hearing and seeing him healed the disturbed evil spirits that they walked in with. Are we asking for him to do that every time that we walk into his presence to heal the disturbed evil spirits that we carry with us? And so everyone was trying to touch him. He had so much energy surging from him. So many people were healed. And then he spoke, you are blessed when you've lost it all. Okay, this is going a little off the rails. (laughs) God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely. Joy comes with the morning. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out. Every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb if you like. Hug a tree. For for even though they don't like it, I do, and all of heaven applauds. And you, you know that you are in good company My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. But it is trouble ahead if you think that you have it made. What you have is all you will ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. That's a message that we should all be able to preach to some people across a coffee table is myself didn't satisfy me for very long. And since I know that's true for me, I'm guessing it's true for you. Let's talk. 
And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them and doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. <laughs> Guess they've had some in their day too. <laughs> not that there's any still in this day. <laughs> your task is to be true, not popular. I feel like God has asked me to say some pretty unpopular things at some pretty close friends' dinner tables in the last two years. And I knew it wasn't going to be popular when I said it. And I was kind of thinking, can someone else say that to them? Surely, God, you've got other people that could tell them. We have a great relationship we've been building for seven years together. Why are you wanting me to say that? I'm only here in town once a year. (laughs) Can't you send someone from their church? They see them every Sunday. But he has had me say some things that I knew weren't going to be popular. And then the people were like, yeah, we don't like what you said. (laughs) But love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior because he knows he has to make it simple for us because otherwise we'll we'll try and study the things that are a little more complex so we don't have as much accountability to it because it's a little too gray. So here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then go and grab that initiative and do it for them. If, if you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? The run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers do that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way your Father lives towards us generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. So remember, we are willing to accept these things for ourselves. This is also even when they're at their worst. Because in this context, he's saying, this is how I want you to love your enemy. We're already having a hard time just loving our friend. And now we're talking about loving our enemy. Okay? And he's saying, even when they're at their worst. Our Father is kind, you be kind. Don't pick on people jumping on their failures and criticizing their faults, unless, of course, that's the same treatment that you would like. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find yourself in your life a lot easier 
Give away your life. You'll find life given back to you. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and with blessing. Have you ever met someone in your life that just was always trying to work some sort of angle and you know how miserable their life must be because they're trying to cut a corner or they are just, they're trying to be a shyster in some way, just trying to get a little bit more, get a little ahead, maybe step on your head to get there and you can just see it's a train wreck in the process because their life is not going to yield those bonuses and the blessings that God has for them because they're only seeking to fulfill their self. And we all maybe in times of our life have been there in different ways where, you know what, I deserve just to take care of myself. (laughs) You know, but for most of us, if we have had moments of that, fleeting moments of that or maybe the extended periods of that, um, we all have figured out that's really not a a life worth living. When it's just to serve self, there's all kinds of books out there about uh, self-love, self-care, self, everything's self. And it's unfortunate because that, can, that creates the most lonely place you'll ever be is when you're just by yourself. And so giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. And then he quoted a proverb. Can a blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in the ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and to be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It is this I-know-better-than-you mentality again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. These are his words to us. This is what his instruction was of like, okay, I'm going to make it really black and white. I'm going to think of every scenario I can say to say the same thing over and over again. Just in case you think I left a part out or there's some gray area, I'm going to eliminate that for you because I know you need it to be simplified with your instruction. So you don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree nor good apples off of a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It is who you are, not what you say, and not what you do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a single thing I tell you? This, this line right here, is what kept me out of church for a long time. Watching other people never do a single thing God told them. It wasn't because I didn't believe in God. It wasn't because I didn't have a connection with God. But I'd, I would sit, you know, all over, and I would just think, these people aren't doing a dang thing that this man has said for us to do. And that hindered my walk with God for a long time. Then I had to take on my own responsibility and decide I can only control myself. So I can't just throw the stone and blame them. 
I have to now put that back on me and reflect on how am I doing? How am I doing in this department of following his instruction? Um, because that's who I have to answer for is myself. And so these words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, nor homeowner improvements for your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in the Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. So, Church at Asheville, my question is, what are we doing to show people the love of Christ? Are we waking up every single day and challenging ourselves and reminding ourselves that we are the image bearer of Christ. You know, I was telling uh, Pastor Shekinah the other day that there's people that God's brought into our life who tell us they're not Christian, they're not religious, they're not this, they're not that. They want to give us, they're trying to give us every opportunity to not be their friend. Um, that's what they think they're doing, and they're just intriguing me more. Because I, I just am like, challenge accepted. Um, we're going to be great friends. That doesn't scare me. But the thing is that I was telling her is that it's funny because so far all these people that we meet are carrying some image of Christ in them. They're not acknowledging it as that. I'm just generous because I just think people should be generous and so I want to give to Connect Global. I am an atheist. I do have that tattoo. I don't know if you noticed that when we sat down, but I do have it and I do I don't I don't I do I don't believe anything. I don't know, but I am an atheist. And I just want you to know that. But I, I do want to give to your ministry. I think that it's really cool what you guys are doing. Oh, okay. Well, you, you do know we're going in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah, it's okay. But you do clean water and you do this and you do that. And anyone can get behind that. Okay. That's the image of Christ in them. That has made them generous. They haven't even gotten into the scripture that tells them to be generous yet. That's just who he is in them and they just don't know it yet. That's pretty cool. And so I just want us to challenge ourselves to ask that question of ourselves daily. Who are we? Whose are we? And is the world recognizing us as a Christ follower because of our love for one another? Not because of our hate. Not because of the nasty messages we put out there on Facebook. Not because of... Uh, the protests and the signs that we say, you're going to hell, you know. But are they identifying us as a believer because of our love for one another? And so I know you guys are doing this because I know your pastors, and I know the founding pastor, and this is something that he has built his whole life around. And so I know that that's what this community is built on, 